We're in a series of teachings on this series called Life Together, being a Christ-centered community, life together. And we've been talking about so many uh, different ways that community is strengthened and what it means to follow Christ and be a community that honors Christ and loves our neighbor. I've mentioned that this series is important for every level of community that we find ourselves in. And so whether it is a community in your three-bedroom apartment or two-bedroom apartment or one-bedroom apartment in Queens, uh, whether it's the community of your family or extended family, the community of your workplace, the community of school, wherever it might be, and of course the community of the body of Christ, the church, this series has application across the board. And we've been talking about a few things. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness, but I want you to see the progression in this series. We first talked about a community that, that draws near to one another, a community that's marked by encouragement, affirmation, blessing. What kind of community makes you want to draw near to someone? What kind of person makes others want to draw near to you? That's how we started out the series, and then we talked last week about conflict, because inevitably, when people move close together, there's going to be conflict, and we want to normalize conflict as the normal Christian experience, a normal human experience, but the communities that can deal best with conflict are those that are marked by blessing and encouragement and affirmation. Inevitably, what happens is you get, you draw near together, you have conflict, and we say hurtful things in conflict. We do do hurtful things or don't do certain things and forgiveness is necessary so this is a very intentional progression and we get to the theme of forgiveness today uh, in Matthew 18 we see a wonderful passage of scripture one of my favorite stories in the Bible that get at the core of what forgiveness is and this is a multifaceted multi-layered uh, matter and issue but hopefully we can get some important truths out of it today and Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, we're going to read half of the story up front, and then I'm going to come back to half of the story midway through this sermon. But follow along with me uh, on the screen or uh, in your Bible. Uh, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, hear the word of the Lord. It says, Then Peter came up to and said to him, that is Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought in to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of this passage, the gift of this parable. And now would you make this passage come alive in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Set us free this day, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. There are few guarantees in life. But one of the things that is most certain is that at some point in your life, someone will hurt you. 
Someone will insult you. Someone will leave you when you need the most. Someone might betray you. Someone will disappoint you. That is the uh, inevitable fact of life. And when this experience comes our way of being hurt, of being disappointed, of being betrayed, of being insulted by someone, we have two often agonizing decisions before us. To either go the route of forgiveness or to go the route of unforgiveness. And both are painful, but in different ways. Two options, two roads, two pathways before us. Forgiveness or unforgiveness. The matter of forgiveness and unforgiveness shows up every single day in our lives all over our world. It shows up at a very young age in playgrounds, in Queens neighborhoods. It shows up in boardrooms, in major corporations. It shows up in homes, in churches. It shows up between countries. It shows up in sports. There's a guy named Pete Rose who gambled a number of years ago on baseball games, and his penalty was he could not enter into the Hall of Fame. Many, many, many years have passed, and still they are not letting him in there. Forgiveness and unforgiveness is something that we see on a regular basis. And how we deal with forgiveness is incredibly important for our life in Christ and the freedom that we live with. And yet, we have a difficult time with it. I'm reminded of, of my daughter Karis's rendition of the Lord's Prayer. When she was four years old, she's 11 right now, can you imagine that? When she was four years old, I taught her the Lord's Prayer every night before we went to sleep. And so I would pray the Lord's Prayer, and it took her a few weeks before she stopped making up her own words. Some of us are still making up our own words. But she, it took her about four, a few weeks before she did that. But this was her rendition of the Lord's Prayer. It went something like this. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed Halloween be your name. That's how she started it. I would go, no, it's hallowed, honey. She kept saying Halloween. Your, my kingdom come, I will be done. I'm going, yeah, honey, if your kingdom comes, you will be done. She would say, give us this day our daily trespasses. I'm thinking, I, I don't think that's how we're supposed to pray this. And then she would say, forgive us our trespasses as we forget those who trespass against us. I said, that's a good prayer right there. I, I like that version of the prayer there. She had a hard time praying that prayer, and I have imagined that many of us have a hard time living that prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is very difficult for our lives, and yet this might be just the core of what Christianity is all about. Forgiveness. In our text this morning, we have one of the most important and sobering passages on forgiveness in all of the Bible. And there are two parts to this story that I want to focus on. The first part is what I just read. Our text begins with Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, trying to show off to Jesus. Peter's done this on a number of occasions. He's the guy who wants to walk on water. He's the guy who wants to cut people's ears off to show off. He wants to show off to Jesus, and he tries to do it again. He comes up to Jesus, and he asks him a very important theological and discipleship question. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
Now, you have to know at this moment that Peter is trying to show off. And he shows off by giving Jesus a double plus one fact. I, this is language that I'm learning in uh, as a homeschool dad these days, working with my son with math. He's first grade. And they have this double plus one. This is what I mean by that. In that day, whenever someone forgave or was asked to forgive, the rabbinic teaching of that day said that you could forgive up to three times a day. Forgive up to three times a day. Peter understands this teaching and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? He gives him a double plus one fact. Three plus three plus one. Seven times. And I imagine at this time, as Peter gives the number seven, he takes his cup of coffee. He's feeling really spiritual and really godly and really moral. And he takes his sip of his coffee seven times, Lord. And as he says that word, Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And at, at this point, Peter spits out the coffee that he had. What? How many times? Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. And it is at this point that Jesus tells a story, tells a parable to make a point. And a parable is a creative way of teaching that you should not take everything in the parable literally, but this is something that Jesus is trying to teach to hone in on a particular truth. Jesus begins the story by saying, there is a man who owes his boss 10,000 talents. Now, in ancient times, the talent was the largest unit of currency in Greek culture. Think about it as the $100 bill. The talent was worth roughly one talent, 20 years of labor. 20 years of labor. And so in saying this man owed 10,000 talents, Jesus is saying this guy owes the king 200,000 years of labor. It's an astronomical amount. And when Jesus tells this story, he's being very serious about something, but he's also being pretty humorous about it. It's like Jesus saying, one day this man owed his boss a gazillion dollars. Now, here's the question. How do you get to a place where you owe someone a gazillion dollars? What have you done to owe someone a gazillion dollars? Jesus here is trying to make a point. This is his point. The debt that the man owes his boss is like the debt we owe God. We carry a debt before God too overwhelming to pay. We all carry a debt before God that's too overwhelming to pay. Our debt before God is massive. Have you ever felt that way? Look at your life. You become aware of your failures your sins, your addictions, your duplicity. And you come to the conclusion, there's no way that I can be forgiven. I read a story of two friends having a conversation about God and forgiveness. And one friend said, who's done some uh, really uh, terrible things, I can't imagine the concept of forgiving and being forgiven. I don't think God could ever forgive me. Then he said, maybe 70%, but not the full 100. Some of us feel that way. You look at your life, 
You feel the shame. You see the decisions that you made, the promises that you've broken, the people that you've hurt. And you feel the guilt and shame about it. And you say, I don't know if I could ever be forgiven all that I've done. And here's the thing. Some of you feel that way, but I imagine there's some of us who are watching and you feel the total opposite. You don't feel that your sins are too much for God. You feel like, I'm a pretty good person. I do pretty good things. I help people. And if that's your mentality, you are in as great a danger as well. Because it's a danger of trusting in your own righteousness. It's a danger of trusting in your own moral goodness. And I know what this is like. In a given week, I'm helping a lot of people. In a given week, I'm sending emails that are encouraging. I'm preaching sermons. I'm posting blogs. I'm writing articles. I'm doing podcasts. I'm counseling people. I'm doing a lot of good in a given week. But I know this to be true about myself as well. For all the good that I do, my motives are not always pure. For all the good that I do, there are times that I look at myself and I see that my desires are at odds with God's desires. There, there, in a given week, there's, there's things that I say that I recognize this is in direct contradiction. I'm often a walking contradiction of the things that I say and the things that I do. And so I live with this sense of contradiction, duplicity. The desires that I have are not often God's desires. I recognize the debt that I have before God, that I consistently miss the mark. And so what Matthew, the gospel writer, wants us to see is that our efforts to be in good standing with God alone will always never be enough. It's never adequate enough. We do not have the money in the bank to be right with God on our own efforts. The man in the story recognizes this. And so the man sees his boss, and in verse 26, he hears this news that he owes him a gazillion dollars, and he says these words, at this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. How is he supposed to pay back a, a gazillion dollars? I don't know, but he, it, with, with compassion, Lord, could you have patience with me? I will pay back everything. Everyone reading the story and hearing Jesus tell the story knows it's impossible for him to pay back everything. And so his boss, with amazing generosity, forgives him of his debt. And it says, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. And it is at this moment where he had this encounter with this generous and forgiving boss that I imagine the man is running in the streets. I imagine he's hugging every person he sees, high-fiving everyone. He's, he's, he's dancing, he's running, he's shouting. He is so happy that he has been forgiven a gazillion dollars. This is a story of unbelievable forgiveness. It's a story of magnanimous mercy. It's a story of scandalous generosity. And you would think at this point, the story should end right here. What a great story, Jesus. This guy owed a gazillion dollars. The king forgave him. This is fantastic. Amen. Let's end the sermon right here. But hold on. Because the story doesn't end here. This is a great place to end the story. A great place to end the parable. But Jesus has something else to say. 
And I want you to see the rest of the story in verse 28. This is what it says. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a, a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Hear the language. Saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying the same words. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, here's the funny thing. How is he going to pay the debt when he's in prison? This is why the parables aren't supposed to be taken so literally. This, this playfulness here, this, this is wonderful storytelling. But what in the world just happened between verse 27 and verse 28? What in the world just happened? Now, the forgiven man walks out of the office being forgiven by his boss and as he's walking down queens boulevard he he spots a co-worker who owes him some money the co-worker approaches him looking to give him a hug hey man how are you but the forgiven man remembers something you see six months ago they were at starbucks and the co-worker was in front of the guy who was forgiven the co-worker says, let me get a grande caramel macchiato. And the Starbucks person says, that'll be $18.79. No, <laughs> something along those lines there. The person goes, ah, I, I forgot my wallet. I, I would have to go back home. It's going to take me a while. But the co-worker said, hey, man, you forgot your money? Let's, I, I got you. Don't, don't worry about it. We're friends. I'll, I'll take good care of you. He puts it on his card, says, boom, uh, pay me whenever you can. Don't even worry about it. The guy says, thank you so much. The guy who was forgiven of the gazillion dollars remembers this guy owes me money from that grande caramel macchiato that I bought him six months ago. And he comes up to the guy and begins, here's the word, chokes him. <laughs> Give me my money, you dirty rat. Where is my money? It is at this point where someone takes out their phone and begins to document this craziness at Starbucks. And someone's taking the video and uploads it on Facebook where the master, the king who forgave the guy of a, gaz of a gazillion dollars, is on Facebook and goes, wait a second. I know that guy. That's the guy who I forgave a gazillion dollars and he's choking someone in Starbucks because he owed him a money from a grande caramel macchiato. The boss hears this and puts the guy in prison. And it is at this point of the story where we learn a valuable lesson that I think really is the center of the story. And this is essentially what it is. You can be forgiven but still be in prison. Hear those words. You can be forgiven, but still be in prison. The man was forgiven a gazillion dollars, and yet he found himself in prison. Notice here that true freedom is not just receiving forgiveness. True freedom is receiving forgiveness and offering that forgiveness to others. Let that sink in for a moment. The man has been forgiven, 
But he finds himself in prison because that forgiveness did not overflow to the world around him. It's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You can be forgiven but still be in prison. Now, at this point, before we talk about how do we move forward as people who live freely receiving the forgiveness of God and living forgiving others, I want to offer some important points of teaching and nuance as it pertains to forgiveness. Because already some of you are wondering, but what about this, but what about this, but what about this? When I talk about forgiveness, it's important to understand what forgiveness doesn't mean. And so let me talk about what forgiveness doesn't mean and then move towards the pathway of living freely, forgiving others. Forgiveness, first of all, doesn't mean forgetting what someone has done. Sometimes you can't forget what someone, what someone has done because the pain is so deep. And sometimes we should not forget what someone has done because, of, uh, because we might return to repeating that process. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting what someone has done. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there are no consequences to what others have done. Forgiveness and justice need not be mutually exclusive, need not be contradictory. We can hold the tensions of forgiveness and justice. Forgiveness doesn't mean no longer feeling the pain of grieving. There are certain wounds, certain things that have been said to us, certain insults, certain, certain uh, actions that have been done to us that you still feel the pain of grief long after it's occurred. And sometimes we forgive and still feel that pain. This is a normal experience. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. We often think that reconciliation, which means kind of restored relationships between two people, reconciliation requires two people who, who in mutuality come back together. But forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. We have to hold on to that. Forgiveness doesn't mean that things will be as they once were. The friendship might not be as it once were as it once was. The, the relationship, the family relationships might not be once what they once were, but for, we can hold on to forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't mean these things. Forgiveness usually takes time. It's a process. And brothers and sisters, we have to be mindful of often the manipulation and guilting people into forgiveness in the name of Jesus. This is often done in context of abuse where someone uses the name of God, uses the name of Jesus, uses the Bible to say, you better forgive me. What kind of Christian are you? You don't forgive me. The Bible says you must forgive, and now the Bible's being used in manipulative ways in the context of abuse. Forgiveness often takes time, and this is where we usually get tripped up. Because we often hear and believe, and we've been, received teaching that says, you got to forgive right away. And I don't know if that's often humanly possible and to do it from a place of depth. There's a wonderful book called Don't Forgive Too Soon. Don't Forgive Too Soon. And in the book, the author is trying to lay out the process of forgiveness much in step with the process of grief. And I think it's really important to hold on to these five kind of steps and stages of forgiveness because it's often the case that we feel guilty that we're not able to forgive. At the same time, we feel, I have not processed what's going on inside of me. And so I want you to hold on to these five stages for a second before we talk about the end of the story and how to move towards forgiveness. It says, in the first stage, is often denial. 
in the context of forgiveness. While we know something ugly happened, we don't admit that it hurt us. We go on with everyday life. Didn't bother me at all. The second stage is anger. At this stage, we recognize clearly that we are upset and we rehearse to ourselves over and over what the person did to us. Stage three is bargaining. In this stage, we contemplate the possibility that we could forgive, but only if the person does exactly what we want them to. On your knees, with tears rolling down your cheeks, then I'll forgive you. That often doesn't happen that way. Stage four is the depression stage. In this stage, we begin to give up waiting for the other person to change, and we lose hope. We blame ourselves for what happened. And then it is at this point where acceptance comes. And I want you to normalize just what's happening on the interior of our lives. In this stage, we accept what happened and we recognize that it was in the past. And we acknowledge that we have learned from our experience. Acceptance doesn't mean that everything in life has healed. But it does free us from the tyranny of the event and makes it possible for us to move forward. Whatever the process looks like, it is often very painful to forgive. And yet, this is the message of Christianity, isn't it? Because if Christianity is about anything, it's about the forgiving grace of God. And what makes Christianity unique in the world is this powerful truth. In forgiving, we experience freedom. True freedom. I've been contemplating and trying to say it this way, that in the act of forgiveness, we are granted the inner freedom from allowing the wound inflicted from another to be the primary and permanent point of reference from which we relate to the world. I want you to chew on that for a second. It's often the case when we're wounded by another person, when we're insulted by another person, when we're hurt by another person, that that becomes the primary and often permanent point of reference from which we relate to the world. And when this is the case, we're in bondage because we were not meant to live from a place of receiving hurt and living from that place as the primary reference point. We're meant to live in the free grace of God, in the free love of God, in the compassion and the grace of God. That's the primary and permanent place from which we are to live, but that's not always how we live. And unforgiveness, what happens is it keeps that permanent, that, that place of reference, that wound being the permanent place from which we relate to the world. Ultimately, unforgiveness keeps us imprisoned. And I want you to see how the story goes, because this is where we end up. In verse 34, the master, after seeing the, uh, video, the viral video on Facebook, it says, In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Again, when Jesus tells the story, we're not to take it literally here. This is, a, this is creative storytelling. Again, how in the world is he going to pay back what he owed him if he is in jail? And then Jesus says these very uh, sobering, challenging words. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, a couple of things. 
We learn in the Bible that we are saved by God's free grace in Jesus Christ. We are not saved by our good deeds. We're not saved by our good actions. We're not saved by our prayer life. We're not saved by how much we read the Bible. We're not saved by how much we go to church. But if we hold unforgiveness, well, we have to hold on to the, the whole counsel of the Bible. If we hold on to unforgiveness, God doesn't say, I'm taking back my forgiveness. Why? Because if God did that, God would be like this wicked, unforgiving servant. And God is not like this unforgiving servant. What Jesus is trying to do here is make an important point. We learn that we're saved by the grace of God, but there is indeed judgment for those who don't forgive. And whether we're talking about forgiving others or forgiving ourselves, there is judgment for those who don't forgive. The question is, what is the nature of the judgment? And I think what Jesus is getting at here is that the judgment ultimately is interior bondage. The judgment that we receive when we refuse to forgive ultimately is interior bondage. The consequences are often stored in our bodies. Anxiety and rage is stored in our bodies and in our brains. We feel the physical, emotional, and spiritual impact of unforgiveness. And so here's, here's the powerful and sobering truth. We can be forgiven but still be in prison. That's the danger before us in this text and yet God longs for us to be free freely receiving forgiveness and freely offering forgiveness to the world around us but how in the world do we get to this place how do we avoid being forgiven but still living in prison what I want to do is offer four kind of reflective points here for us to be focusing on this week and by God's grace for the rest of our lives when it comes to this very delicate, multifaceted issue. How do we move forward being forgiven and offering forgiveness? Four quick things I want to offer. Number one, to forgive and to move in this direction is to trust in the truth of the Jesus story of death and resurrection. Make no, no doubt about it. To forgive is a death. It's a letting go. It's a refusal to go down the road of revenge. It's a refusal to continue the cycle of violence and hurt from continuing, but it is a death. And to move in this direction is to trust in the Jesus story of death and resurrection. That you cannot get to resurrection without death. You cannot get to the life of glorification and the life of joy and abundance and love and compassion and grace without first tasting death. This, this gets to the core of do we believe the Jesus story? Do we believe the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection? And this is what God invites us into with forgiveness, to trust in the story that yes, it's painful, Yes, it's a death. Yes, I wish things could be done differently. Yes, I wish this thing shouldn't have happened. But do we trust that new things can emerge out of painful things? Do we trust in the Jesus story of death and resurrection? Secondly, how do we move in this point? Well, we recognize that forgiveness is something we do over and over and over again. There, we are forgiving all of our lives. 
We're receiving forgiveness for the rest of our lives, and we're offering forgiveness. This is something that's gone over and over and over again. And I recognize in myself, there are times when I thought, I thought I was done forgiving that person. And then their name comes up. One time, Rosie just recently mentioned somebody's name, and the level of disgust. I said, oh, that just the name. And I said, Lord, forgive me. I still got some work to do. I still got some forgiveness to do. Forgiveness is something that we do over and over and over. And so for those of you feeling guilty, why am I still holding on to this? Another opportunity to let it go. It's over and over and over. Third, how do we move forward? Well, we do what Jesus is saying in this parable. We remember that God has forgiven us in Christ. When you look at your own inconsistencies, your own sins, your own addictions, the ways that you've hurt others, God has forgiven you a massive debt in Jesus Christ. And it is out of gratitude that we offer that to the world around us. But here's number four. There's a prayer for those not ready to forgive. Some of you are listening to this and you're going, Pastor Rich, if you only knew what happened. And trust me, as a pastor, I've heard some very horrific, heart-wrenching stories of sin and pain and betrayal. And I've heard these stories enough to know that one of the best things we can do for those of us who are having a hard time forgiving is to essentially pray this prayer, Lord, I'm not ready to forgive, but help me to want to forgive. And what begins to happen is the Holy Spirit starts working in us, doing things that we cannot do in our own strength. It was the English poet Alexander Pope who said that to err, to sin, is human. To forgive is divine. And when we open ourselves to God in this kind of way, the Holy Spirit begins to do in us and through us what we cannot do on our own. We don't have the resources in us to forgive, but God does. And God can work through us in grace and through us in love and through us in compassion, doing what we cannot do in our own strength. And this is what we find in the gospel, the good news of Christianity. Let me end with this. The good news of the Christian story, of the gospel, is about a God who's been sinned against and yet time after time after time offers gracious forgiveness. The craziness about our gospel is that God doesn't just forgive us, God takes on our sin, takes our place, gives us access to the free love of God. When Jesus died, everything that stood against us was crucified to the cross. Every hurtful act, every sin, every lustful thought you've ever had, every curse you've ever uttered, you ever uttered has been obliterated on the cross. Whatever you've done in the past, in the present, in the future has been taken care of in Jesus Christ. The question is, are you going to live into that reality that's already yours? On the cross, Christ accomplishes all of this, and God doesn't say, I'm going to take it back. When God says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Amen. When God says your sins are as far from the east as from the west, he means it. Amen. When God says your debt has been paid, he means your debt has been paid. Now, out of receiving this generosity from God, move towards being a witness of this forgiveness 
for the world and to the world around you. For some of you, you've been carrying addictions. You've been inconsistent with your life. You've said hurtful things. You've, you've said hurtful things to your children, to your spouse, to, your, to a co-worker, to an enemy. And even in the midst of all this, look at the cross. All your sins have been taken care of. And God offers forgiveness. But hear this. It is out of that place of forgiveness that God doesn't just want you to be forgiven. He wants you to be free, truly free. And it is through this grace that we now offer. Not easy, not just like that, through a long process often, but we move towards the road of forgiveness. Here's my question for you today, and then we'll close. Who do you need to forgive? What's the situation that you need God's grace to work through you? And you realize, in my own strength, I can't do this. In my own strength, this is impossible. But what's impossible for humans is possible with God. I want to give you about 30 seconds or so, 45 seconds, to maybe close your eyes right where you're at. Put the coffee that you're drinking down for a moment. Put the fork down for a moment. And just, who is the person or group of people or whatever it is that you just need to begin to move towards forgiveness. Why? Well, it's a demonstration of the gospel and it's for the sake of your own freedom as well. I want to give you about 30 seconds and then we're going to pray the prayer of confession that I'll put on the screen again. But let's pause for a moment. Let's pray this prayer of confession. And let's do it together wherever you're watching this from. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, and deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Lord, give us the grace we need to receive the forgiveness that's been made available in Jesus Christ and to be a forgiving presence in the world. We offer ourselves to you this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we close our service, I recognize this is a very layered subject. Lots of painful memories come up when we talk about forgiveness. Uh, for those of you on the watch party, I want to encourage you to stay on for maybe 30 minutes or so to have a good conversation to uh, engage this material some more. For some of you, you're hearing this and you recognize, I need someone to pray for me. And so on our website uh, and on the 
uh, YouTube and Facebook Live as well, you'll see a link for a, a prayer uh, team, a prayer link. If you just need someone to pray for you, uh, we want you to click on that link and connect with one of our uh, leaders so that they can pray for you, which is often uh, in a difficult conversation like this and difficult topics. So feel free to check that out. For some of you who are watching right now, your heart is stirred. You've carried so much shame, guilt, wondering, could God ever forgive me? I have good news for you. God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. The question is, can you receive that? Can you receive that? On the screen, you can text if you are looking to start a relationship with Christ. You can text to that number, yes to Jesus. And if you want someone to just walk with you and help you to understand what's the next step in this relationship with God thing, let us serve you in that way. One of our pastors will be in touch with you in about 24 hours. So just text that number and we love to follow up with you. As we close, I want to bless you. And the reason we close every gathering with blessing is because the world is filled with cursing. But more than that, we receive blessing out of which we offer it to the world. We are forgiven and we offer that forgiveness. We are blessed and we offer that blessing to the world. And so wherever you're at, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving the grace and forgiveness of God. And by God's grace, offering that forgiveness and grace to the world around you. May you be forgiven and may you truly be free. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the forgiving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. Uh, see you sometime next week.